Today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 24. It gives us another appearance of Jesus after he rose from the dead. To the, to the two men we refer to often as the Emmaus disciples. So it's Sunday evening. Jesus had already risen. He had already appeared to the women and to other disciples. And now this is a different group of disciples that are walking away from Jerusalem toward a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus makes an appearance. Uh, Pay attention to what happens then. So now that same day, Sunday, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests And our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is the word of the Lord. At our outdoor Easter service on Easter Sunday, we had the most fabulous display of donuts I have ever seen. I mean, the different colors and textures of these things. Uh, Kudos go to all the people who are helping serve our food and drink that day, especially to Mark and Ruth. Uh, Mark and Ruth took it upon themselves, of course, to taste test dozens of different kinds of donuts for us before the day, just like they taste tested all kinds of different egg bakes. I kid you not, um, because they wanted just the right thing. And so, this, this display of donuts was colorful, and it had all different kinds. And, and it's kind of like a donut fest that you wouldn't just have on a, a normal Sunday, right? We have our snacks here on Sundays after church, but, but we don't have 
a donut fest like, like we had on Easter Sunday. There's just some special foods that you eat on special festival days and holidays that you don't eat at any other time, kind of like corned beef and cabbage, right? So there might be other kind of breads or pastries that you or your family eat on Easter. Some people have a tradition to eat hot cross buns. Raise your hand if you know what hot cross buns are and not just sing about them in a rhyme. All right, it's just a few of you. They're kind of going, their tradition, kind of ancient. But Google hot cross buns, and you'll see how it's related to Good Friday and Easter. And that's a tradition in some households, hot cross buns. Maybe other pastries, maybe uh, round rock donuts. Uh, Something, some special way you have of celebrating Easter with some kind of pastry. Today, as we look at Jesus walking with the Emmaus disciples and then breaking bread with them, and then they recognize who he is, I'm, I'm looking at that as a special kind of Easter bread. And I'm saying, let's break some Easter bread. Meaning, not just uh, awesome donuts, but by breaking Easter bread, we're going to actually be spending time with Jesus like the Emmaus disciples did and seeing how he sustains us, not just physically, but especially spiritually, and how Jesus himself fills our souls. So let's look at the Emmaus disciples from Luke chapter 24. And, uh, and, and we actually, the Gospel of Luke helps us step in with these, these, we call them the Emmaus disciples, as they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, away from Jerusalem, on Sunday evening, the day that Jesus rose earlier from the dead, and they haven't consumed and digested this yet, and so their hearts are heavy, their steps are slow, and then they're joined by this companion who, who comes and walks along with them, except this companion brings more than just questions. Right? He's asking them, well, why are you so sad? What happened in Jerusalem? And they're saying, you know, are you the only one who's not paying attention? But he brings more than questions. He brings bread. He brings sustenance. I'm talking spiritually now. Sustenance for their souls. As a matter of fact, the word companion means with bread. Co or com in Latin, and panis, it means bread. Panera, right, uses that term, panera bread. So companion means bread bringer. So Jesus is this companion to the Emmaus disciples. He's the bread bringer. He's the, he's the soul nourisher and supplier. And he's ours too. Now, He's feeding the faith of these two disciples who he says are foolish and slow to believe. But he walks along with them. He's their companion. He actually supplies their souls even before they break the real bread later. Now, here's a question I want us to explore as we're exploring in every one of these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Why were the disciples so out of it? Right, we asked that last week with the disciples. They were locked behind doors. Why? You and I are like, man, if I was there, I'd be running in the streets singing hallelujah. And now these uh, two Emmaus disciples, they're so sad. They're uh, comparing them to the disciples that we looked at last Sunday, locked in the upper room. Remember it said, for fear of the Jews? So 
the motivating factor for the disciples last Sunday, locked in the upper room, was fear. Hey, you think of these Emmaus disciples, I would say the reason for their fog, their confusion, is hopelessness. And you compare that to the women who are going to the tomb, I'd say for them it was confusion. So there's a fog over the hearts and minds of these disciples after Jesus dies, and even after he rises now, that's, that, that's caused by some different reasons. So uh, look at the words here in, uh, in verse 21 of Luke 24. These Emmaus disciples say to this new companion now, they don't know it's Jesus yet, but they're explaining their hopelessness, and they say, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Right? That we, we used to hope that he was a redeemer, but we don't think that anymore. Why not? It explains in the previous verse. They say, Jesus was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. He was handed over to be sentenced to death. He was crucified. So, they had all the facts. It, even before Jesus died, he he taught his disciples. He taught the crowds. I'm the Redeemer. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Savior of the world. I am also going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer and die. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Jesus taught that very plainly, right? So these disciples, along with the other ones, they had the information. It was very clear. They had the facts. But they were behaving like they were starving instead of fully alive with the sustenance and nourishment of the promises of God. I want to explain the why with, with a story about fast food, uh, an explanation about fast food. We're so used to this in our culture, but, but America didn't always have fast food. It really exploded in the early 70s, maybe the late 60s, and it all started with some hot dog and hamburger stands in Southern California. And so in 1970, Americans spent $6 billion on fast food. This is very early in the game when, when restaurants were, when fast food restaurants were just exploding. And uh, today, you know how much we spend on fast food restaurants alone? Not $6 billion, 200, over $290 billion dollars. We spend, a year, we spend on fast food. 50 million Americans go out and eat, out to eat or order fast food every day. And now you pile on top of that more than 50 million Americans, all the rest of us eating what I would call fast food in our own cupboards and our refrigerators, processed food, right? Food that has contaminants in it, like partially hydrogenated oil. Google that, you'll, your jaw will drop in awe of how unhealthy partially hydrogenated oil is. It's kind of related to trans fats, though those are going out because our, the FDA finally uh, made trans fats illegal, especially in fast foods, and so that's, that's good. We're seeing signs of improvement. But man, some of this stuff, including the Diet Coke I showed you earlier, uh, are loaded with with poisonous chemicals that are meant for shelf life. And ironically, they're not meant to make people last longer. They're just meant to make the product last longer to make more money. 
Uh, I'm talking about all kinds of processed food that you probably would consider safe that are in your cupboards, in your refrigerators right now. So the fast food industry, there's fast food restaurants uh, on almost every corner and in almost every strip mall, and they're in hospital cafeterias, and they're in high school concession stands, and they're on college campuses, and fast food restaurants are even in Walmart and Target and even some mega churches. Uh, you can get fast food in churches. It's, it's everywhere. It's pervasive. So here's my question. We know, we have the facts about how bad some foods are for us. So why are we as a society still consuming them? And there is your answer. The, the Emmaus disciples had the facts about Jesus, as the rest of the disciples had the facts. They weren't lacking in any information. Jesus had told them, I'm, I'm the Savior, I'm the Son of God, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise on the third day. Why weren't they acting like the facts that they had? Ah, and there it is. That's how we are like these Emmaus disciples. And it's all about this. We dismiss the truth. Right? Why do I still drink Diet Coke? Because there's part of me that says all those studies apply to all y'all, everyone else out there, but not to me. They, I'm the exception. It's, it's not going to kill me. And meanwhile, our, our, our American society, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, lung disease, these things we are finding are, are preventable in many ways. Even de- People are dying from these things. And yet we convince ourselves, it won't happen to me, until it does, and then it's too late in some cases. So we dismiss the truth, and we dismiss the truth because we have a sinful, self-centered bias. It's a filter. My sinful, self-centered filter says, what's bad about out there doesn't apply to me. It applies to all you, but not to me. And it's my opinion that matters the most, and my opinion is all those unhealthy foods are not going to impact me. Well, you, you go ahead and live with that opinion. I sometimes do too, and it's wrong. So we dismiss the truth because of sinful self-denial. We think we're the exception. So I want to talk about this filter of of sinful, self-centered bias that dismisses the truth. Because here's how it works. What happens is that I'm really, I'm spiritually hungry. Like the Emmaus disciples were spiritually hungry but I'm not, I don't hunger to be hungry. I, I don't know I'm spiritually hungry. So I don't have a hunger to be hungry. Why don't I know that I'm spiritually hungry when I really am, but I just don't know it? Because I have, in my sinful, self-centered, biased kind of way, decided that I'm, I'm full. And I fill myself with my own opinion. I fill myself with stuff. And I don't have this hunger spiritually, or I don't realize I have this hunger spiritually. Because I've come to some conclusions in my head that that I believe are true, even though they're not. Okay, so let me give you some practical examples. 
We had hoped that by now, God would build a building for us on our church property in this project that we started over five years ago. Obviously, he hasn't. Therefore, my, my opinion on the matter is either this is God's plan. God has a plan for us to not have a building. Or we have royally messed up. We, we are a bunch of imbeciles who can't figure out how to build a building. Have you thought one of those two? Because neither are true. Neither are true. You show me in the Bible where it says that God's plan is for us to not have a building. You show me, and then I'll believe you that it's God's, from eternity, God willed that we will not have a building until, I don't know, sometime in the future. Not true. Neither is it totally true that God's totally off the hook and it's just our own fault. Okay? The truth is somewhere in the middle. So, I have to be careful of my bias that throws out reasons why I believe we don't have a building there yet. And I have to be careful of putting it all on God or putting it all on us. We are agents and ambassadors. We are disciples sent to make disciples. Somewhere in the middle is where things really are in this, which is why I want to make every effort to remove my self-centered bias out of that filter and say, God, what's really going on here? And oh, the things that are waiting. We think we're waiting for God to build us a building. I got news for you. God's waiting for us. The, the Emmaus disciples thought they were waiting for Jesus. They thought, where is he? He's supposed to be risen from the dead. We're, come on. Sure. And Jesus was waiting for them. So I think the big question is, what is it that God is waiting for from us? That's the big question. And I've answered that for us. I have the answer. Here it is. On, on video, it goes to the world, it goes to you. Here's the answer. What, what is God waiting for from us? I have it. Here it is. I don't know, but I want you to pray about it. And pray about it some more. And pray about it some more. And I believe all of us in our 40 days of prayer that become more intense than we've ever prayed about this project before are going to learn something as we say, God, take my filter away. Take our filter away. And what do you have for us in here? And, and so I asked you this big question. I said, the building really isn't the main thing. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. So if the building isn't the main thing, what's the main thing? You ask God about that and go in prayer and be in your Bible, and we're going to learn some big stuff through this. And I think that we're going to build a level of less me filter, more God knowledge than we've ever had before, and that's going to be some huge building in our own hearts that's even almost as or more important than bricks and boards. All right. That was one example. Here's another one of my, my bias assumes that things are this way when they're really not. Here's another one. 
this marriage is just not working. It, I, I think it's done. I mean, God wants me to be happy, and I'm not happy with my spouse. It's, it's not a happy relationship. And we've worked, and we've tried, and there's tears, and there's fighting. God doesn't want this marriage to go on anymore. Can you please show me in the Bible where it says that God does not want marriage to succeed? And can you please show me in the Bible where it says that God wants you to be happy? God is more interested in your character than in your comfort. And in order to build your character, sometimes God wants you to be uncomfortable. He, the, the Emmaus disciples didn't recognize him. He didn't just jump out and say, hi, I'm here, Jesus. They, act, they, they suffered. They were emotionally a wreck. And Jesus was good with that. So you go be an emotional wreck. But don't give up on your marriage. What God has joined together, let no one separate. God designed your marriage. God is in your marriage. And don't filter him out of it. He will guide you even if it's tough, even if you cry, even if it's hard. He is interested in keeping you together. Take his hand and let him lead. I'm so busy, I don't have time to read my Bible and pray and go to Bible study and attend church every week. There is a sinful, self-centered bias. Tell me, busy with what? Busy drinking Diet Coke? So, Mom and Dad, I'm so busy drinking Diet Coke, I don't have time to drink milk. Would you let your kids get away with that? Busy with what? I'm so, we're all busy. It's the, it's the way of life. We're all busy. That's, that's, that's old news. Don't, don't come to me and tell me you're busy. I'm busy too. But I have to ask myself, what does my self-centered bias tell me that I'm busy with? What am I making so important that it's become more important than connecting with God in those ways that he says he connects with me. Here's another one. That's not necessarily true of all of us, but probably most of us at some point in time. But here's one I think is, is really important here, again, for this bias of why, why, don't, we believe, why don't we act when we have the facts? Um, it can be hard to watch someone you love, a believer, a Christian, it's a friend, it's a family member, a wayward child, a spouse who's a believer and was on fire for the Lord at one point in time, walk away from God. It can be so hard. It can be hard to watch someone that you love, a friend, a family member, be caught in addiction. And then the first thing that we want to say is, Come on! You have the Bible. You, you know it. You get it. You've been to church. Why are you behaving this way? See this? This is... Well, why does America still consume diet soda and eat trans fats? It's all the same. We have the information. We don't act on it. 
because of our bias. That's true of anyone who's walking away from God, anyone who, who doesn't repent, anyone caught in addiction. So have mercy on those people and be patient with them because you and I do the same things, just in a different way. Uh, there's more examples. I'll stop. Um, they're out there. But it's just, I, I need to understand I'm too much like the Emmaus disciples. Uh, and I'm spiritually hungry, and, 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 I, and I don't know I'm spiritually hungry. So how do, how do I make that turn? There's this wonderful verse that Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. So, I want to pray not to be filled. I want to pray to Jesus that I become hungry. And then I have his promise right there. I have his promise when I'm hungry that I'm filled. And guess what? The Emmaus disciples were still hungry in a way. They just didn't know it totally. And so their bread bringer, their companion came to them. And here's the beauty of this section now, um, verses 30 through 32. When Jesus was at the table with them, so they had, they had walked for the evening. Jesus pretended he was going further. They still didn't know it was Jesus. They said, why don't you, why don't you just stay the night with us? He said, okay. He went in. They, they had a meal together. They still didn't know it was Jesus. And then while he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Ah, there's four things I want to point out to you in that section. This is just like a a menu now. I'm giving you four things on the menu for these words right here that I just read. Four important things. Number one, their eyes were opened. Right? it, It says, He broke bread. Then their eyes were opened. It does not say Jesus took off his mask or his costume. It doesn't say Jesus came out from hiding. So when Jesus approached them on the road, he wasn't in disguise. He was Jesus. And why they didn't see him, was it was about their eyes. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about them. They didn't see him because their eyes were closed, using this metaphor. They didn't see him because they didn't know they were hungry. But then their eyes were opened. Jesus didn't want to be seen by them either at that point on the road until they were ready to see him as their Savior. And so their eyes are opened. There's some good news here. Here it is. When you, your own filter, your own bias, right, are in the midst of a storm, and you are convinced, a personal life situation that is hard and it hurts, and you are convinced that Jesus has totally forgotten about you, that Jesus is not there, that that he doesn't care, that you're on your own, and you walk like the Emmaus disciples with heavy heart and shuffle your steps and woe is me because I know that I'm, I, Jesus loves everyone else but he doesn't love me. 
And he, he cares about all those good, strong Christians out there, but I must have done something wrong that he just has left me alone. And it feels like you are the only one. And I know that feeling. It's real. And your filter is telling you, Jesus has forgotten about you. He's not here. He is there. Even when their eyes were not opened, Jesus was with them. He came to them. These are disciples who didn't go to the tomb, didn't go running to Jesus, but Jesus came to them. Jesus is with you even when it feels like he is not. Jesus is with you. He promises, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. He's with you even when it feels like you're the only one. He's with you. He understands you. He cares about you. Even before your eyes are opened. That takes faith, and you can believe that. Before, And then their eyes were opened. So don't trust your foolish opinions and your own filtered bias. Trust the words of Jesus that give you that promise, okay? Number two, they recognized him. Ah! Oh, you know, so it's, I think there's a difference between their eyes are opened and they recognized him. Those are two different things, right? Their eyes are opened, they're like, hey, something's different now. And then they recognized him as like, oh, it's Jesus, right? Like, uh, like you're traveling and you're hundreds of miles, maybe thousands of miles away from home, and you're walking through an airport, and what? Is that, you double take? That, that's Mark? Whoa, how? Mark, what are you doing here? Hugs, we catch up. Ah, what, how, did our cross, how did our paths cross? And the high, one of the highlights of that trip, I go home and I tell people about my trip. One of the highlights was, you wouldn't believe who I saw in an airport in, in New York City. I saw Mark. How did that? Oh, that's crazy. Wow. Right, that's, that's the, they recognized him. He's, they'd seen him before. They knew what he looked like. They felt his, his love. They knew his promises. And this is like, ah, oh, it's you. That's the, that's the recognizable aspect of it. And that's us when, when our eyes are opened and we, and we recognize Jesus. Now, this is interesting. The next, the next phrase, he disappeared from their sight. I mean, it seems like the, the, the second they recognized him, whew, he was gone. Like, well, Jesus, can't you just let them linger in the moment for a little bit? You know, it's like if I see Mark in the airport and I go, Ah, Mark, it's you, and I come in for a big hug, and he he ducks around it and runs away and leaves me hanging. Why would you do that? Uh, Jesus, see that? They recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. But we don't hear the disciples or see them, you know, oh, Jesus, don't, don't, no, don't go. We, we don't hear them. Oh, no, he's gone again. What are we going to do now? You, none of that happens. They actually, he disappears, and that's when they say, wow, we're not, we're not hearts burning with us. There's no more fear. There's no more. Jesus is now gone, just like he was before, but they're not as afraid. See that? Jesus has so satisfied their souls that they don't need his physical presence. That's a sign of maturing faith. When you don't need a physical sign from Jesus that he loves you or that he's with you. You don't need physical confirmation 
that he's going to keep his promises to make sure you need, to make sure you have what you need financially, you and your family. That you don't need more money in the account for, to believe that promise. That, that you don't need to see more money when he says, you give to me so much, I'll give you back even more. You, you don't need anything physical for you to say, slam dunk certainty, I believe you, Jesus, because you fill my soul. You have satisfied me. You, you, can be, you can be invisible, Jesus. I'm good with that. That's what you have here. He disappeared from their sight, and it was all good. Finally, were not our hearts burning within us? Yeah, when? When did their hearts burn? They say it. While he talked with us on the road and opened scriptures to us. See that? Their hearts were burning before their eyes were opened. Their hearts burned on the road. Their eyes were opened during the meal. Our hearts were already burning. And why? Because they hadn't recognized him as Jesus yet when he was talking to them on the road and opening the scriptures. They weren't looking. They didn't see him as Jesus yet. Their eyes weren't opened yet, yet their hearts were burning. Why? Why can your hearts burn even when you don't recognize Jesus? Because he opened the scriptures to us. Keep your Bible close to you. Keep it handy in your backpack by your bedside, on your kitchen table. Keep it on your Facebook feed with with Bible posts everywhere. Keep it in your heart. Keep it memorized. Opened the scriptures. Even before they recognized him and their eyes were opened, all of you can have your lives changed by the scriptures. You don't need to be a seminary graduate. You don't need to be a veteran Christian, you can be new to the faith, you can be young, you can be old. Open scriptures equal open burning hearts. Open scriptures equal open eyes of insight and understanding. Open scriptures equal open burning joy in life, a recognition of Jesus and his work. And it all starts with open scriptures, open scriptures. Even when eyes aren't fully open yet. The scriptures can make a difference. I think of uh, infant baptism as an example of that, right? The baby's uh, uh, eyes of understanding, eyes of seeing Jesus aren't fully open yet spiritually, and yet with the promises of God's word, we baptize a little baby, and, and they know Jesus. They know the scriptures. Paul can say to, inf- uh, to Timothy, from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. We, babies can know that when we baptize them. That's a great example of my eyes aren't fully open, but my heart's burning. All right, one final practical example and story. Um, I have, I, I, this is burning within me. I'm talking about a burning heart. I've been burning and burning and burning to tell you all about my trip to the Holy Land. So I'm going to try to give it to you in, in little pieces. So here's one piece. Uh, I went there about a month ago. Um, I spent time in Galilee, up by the Sea of Galilee, in the hill country. And then in Jerusalem, which is further south. Jerusalem, the big holy city. Okay, so Galilee, there's the, the, so you, you look at pictures and see like a lake. It's, it's 13 miles long, 7 miles wide. You're standing on the hills, the grassy 
knolls and mountain sides around it is beautiful. And, and you walk where Jesus walked in, in the Galilee area. It's about a six to eight mile stretch along the northwest Galilee shore where Jesus spent 80% of his life and did most of his ministry. And it was just natural and beautiful. And you sit on the hillside where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And, you, and it's just, it's, it's kind of like our hill country uh, here, except probably a little greener. Uh, and it's just super nice. And then we got to Jerusalem. And my first day in Jerusalem was not a good day. To me, it felt like Disneyland. That day, that, that one day felt like Disneyland. Uh, it felt like there were like, like these big put together sh- uh, church shrines. And so um, I have a picture of, uh, picture in the middle there is where Jesus, it's the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, that, that this big, huge church built over what they say is the, the Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. And then they have uh, the tomb area, and, and the church has built this huge, 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 humongous church over it, and multiple churches operate this, and there's a line an hour and a half long to go and reach your hand through and touch the rock on Golgotha where Jesus was crucified, and then there's a line two hours long to walk through the tomb that they say where he was, and to me it was like, oh, I, I don't see Jesus because all this stuff is getting in the way, and all the people are getting in my way. And I got to get on a line to see Jesus. And, it, it, and oh, I had a come to Jesus moment that night. Oh, I said, Jesus, I can't, you're not there. I can't see you. You're not, I'm not, it's not worshipful. I'm not connecting. It's because it's of all these other things out there. And uh, the answer to prayer was this. Uh, nobody can hide Jesus from you except yourself. Nobody can take Jesus away from you except your own sinful, self-centered bias. So if I'm going to say, I'm not, Jesus, I'm not connecting with you, and it's his fault, her fault, church's fault, bad weather, I don't have enough money, church doesn't do things my way, Jesus is going to say, hmm, mm Nobody can keep Jesus from you except you. And so what helped it be a turning moment was uh, the story of the, of the bleeding woman, we call that story. So it's sandwiched between um, the, the ruler Jairus coming to Jesus and saying, heal my daughter. And then there's the story of this woman who in the crowd, there's a, Jesus is walking in a crowd of disciples, and there's this woman who who reaches through the crowd just to touch Jesus' robe, just to touch the hem of his robe, because she believes that he can heal her of this problem that she had. And when she touched his robe, she was healed. And that's when Jesus stopped and said, hey, what power went out from me? Who touched me? And then he found her and said, oh, woman, you have great faith. Your faith has saved you. And it goes on to tell a story of Jairus in Mark chapter 5. That's who I became. I realized I can reach through the crowds. The crowds aren't keeping me from Jesus. I am. I need to change my perspective. I need to change my bias. I need, I, Jesus is there. The crowds aren't keeping him away. And so I became hungry. And the rest of the tour was amazing. The rest of the time in Jerusalem was 
soul-enriching, was satisfying to my soul as I ate Easter bread, and Jesus was my companion, my bread bringer, my supplier. He is yours too. Jesus is our Easter bread. He fills our souls, and he gives us wonderful promises as our Easter bread, promises like this one. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life. May you find deeper, more intense spiritual hunger than ever before. And may you be brave enough to pray, not to be filled, just pray to be more hungry again. And Jesus will be your Easter bread. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for having mercy on us, for being patient with us like you were with the Emmaus disciples and being part of our lives, part of our confusion, part of our doubts, even part of our sins. You have forgiven us by your presence, by your sacrifice on the cross, and by your resurrection from the dead. Fill our hearts, Jesus, as we come to you and ask to make us even more hungry than we've ever been. We know that you are the the Easter bread and the satisfier of our souls. So fill our lives, fill our hearts, fill us with you. Amen.